0: Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin Two-time All-Pro Linebacker Chad Brown Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson 104.3 The Van Welcomes
1: You into the Players Club So, uh I want to talk about something. Um you know, you're making you're making a lot of money, man. Let's rock. Our, our salary caps about 225 million and you're making a, a pretty good chunk of that. Big bite. <laughs> Wondering if you'd be willing to take a pay cut so we could uh sign a few more guys, maybe increase our chances to win a Super Bowl, Russell? Would you be would you be into that? <laughs> nope. No? No, his his number's not actually that
2: bad this year. His cap hit is twenty two million, so he's okay. only nine point four five percent of the
1: okay. Broncos' salary cap. Okay, so we don't so that's not a conversation you would broach at all if you were actually trying to make it happen with Josh Jacobs.
2: Now next year there's obviously going to be a, a huge bump on that number so maybe he you know be a little bit more willing to do that but I don't think he would take less money. I think he would shift it around and do some of the salary cap gymnastics where it's now signing bonus so then it's rolled into the you know the uh, the prorated part that hits the you know contract every year. I don't think Russ is taking less money. No, he's not going Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady route. No.
1: Isn't that what Aaron Rodgers just did though? Aaron Rodgers, yeah, Aaron Rodgers
2: literally gave up like thirty million bucks. What a team player! But do you think that Aaron Rodgers was trying to
3: play for that thirty million bucks at the end of this, at the end of that contract? Because you cancel out one year. How old is Aaron Rodgers right now? Like, Forty something.
1: No, I think he's like thirty nine. Yeah. Let's see. Even if he's in his late thirties, how, like how I, Aaron Rodgers strikes
3: me as like a one, maybe two years, and I'm I'm selling off. In, if I could win a Super Bowl, like
1: yeah, I'm if out. You win the Super Bowl for sure. Yeah. But well, what if, like, it takes a while to get that thing going? What if they don't make the playoffs this year? they lose losing two, the wild card round next year.
3: I think he's two to three max.
1: Mm. Max. And then his career's done. Whereas Russell's got ten more. So Well, you would like to think that he has yeah. ten more, right? It's going to be an amazing story when we do. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so Stop making fun of Russ, Nate. <laughs> believe Why? It, believe it, Why? Believe in it. Why? <laughs> 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 That's what I do. I make fun of people. Including myself, okay? But a cap question from the uh, com text line. Can you pay a guy like Josh Jacobs a $12 million signing bonus and a $2 million salary? That's from Angel Face. So when you hear, like, yeah, he's going to, you know, we're talking about the money, whether it's 13 or 14, that doesn't all go to the cap, like, against the cap, Right. So, okay, he gets a $12 million. Well, how long is the deal? If So, if so a
2: three-year deal, then that's $4 bucks of that $12 million sign-in bonus. It was going to be prorated over every single year of the deal. Um, but if you were to only be here one year, then all $12 million of the sign-in bonus plus the $2 million salary is going to hit the cap next year because there's no longer those additional years on the deal. So, uh, you got to pay the piper at some point. There's no salary cap gymnastics that preclude you from, you know, uh, getting around some of these rules. You can kick that can down the road and you can end up with a situation like the New Orleans Saints had where they couldn't re-sign any of their own guys. They couldn't go out in free agency. They got to rely on young players in the draft and all those things to build their roster back up to last season because they had put themselves in such a bad spot salary cap. Why? So the Broncos are I think would certainly want to avoid those kind of things, particularly for a position like running back where the injury rate is so
1: high. Who is this Piper that people are always paying? Uh he's got a lot of money. The Piper. Um yeah, so in that in that light, maybe don't get Josh Jacobs. Maybe roll with the guys you have. Maybe go maybe, you know, invest in Javante Williams because there is look, are we in a Super Bowl window here in the next couple of years realistically? with Sean Payton trying to change the culture, trying to turn this thing around? It might take some time. Look, Mike Mike Malone, Michael, sorry. Don't call me Mike. It uh, took eight years for him to get a championship, right? Mm-hmm. Are we going to be patient for the Sean Payton culture shift to happen and it may take several years to start making waves in the playoffs? And if that's the case, do we want to spend a bunch of money on a running back who's peaking right now and, and essentially waste those years on, an, on a on a team that's not yeah. making waves? So
3: here, here's my thing, right? You know... um, Let's just call it what, what it actually is. The Broncos are one play away from now um, Tony Jones Jr. being the starting running back. What Tyler mean? Batty being a starting running back for them. What do you, you mean one They're one play, one play away what you from mean? that. What do you mean? Javante, in the first week of training camp, has showed that there is some knee soreness. And he hasn't even played football yet. He hasn't got tackled to the ground. But yet he looks drastically different from day one of training camp to right now. Now, with some of that soreness? Absolutely. But when you take a pitch sweep and, and, and you look like you're moving in slow motion, there's some cause for concerns there. So now you don't know how his body is going to respond throughout the course of a year. Now, when he is taking those hits, Samajee pre becomes now your, your, your guy. But if he takes a hit, I mean, the Broncos had a lot of injuries in that running back room last year, right? We uh Chase Edmonds. He got banged up. Um... Who else? Uh, Javante Williams—he got banged up. But if Samaje takes a hit, who who are your guys that you're rolling with? You're rolling with a bunch of guys that you didn't even know who their names was two weeks ago. So, for me, and and if you put yourself in a situation like that, do you expect the run game to be good, or do you expect it to be average at best in a situation like that?
1: Isn't it the scheme though? Isn't it the wide zone? And can't you plug in? I mean, you, you're, are not running a wide zone scheme? Aren't they running a, a zone blocking scheme? Uh, they, they're running
3: everything. It's more like when I was back here. They're running, uh, yeah, they got their gap plays. They got, they, they, they got their, um, they got their inside zone. They got a couple outside zone plays. Um, it's not, it's not like last year with Nathaniel Hackett where we're just in this wide zone world or, or that's what we thought we were going to do. And then, uh, week five, we went in a different direction. But the offensive line is also struggling though. They, and they're, and they're struggling pretty bad. So, For me, if it's truly about fixing a guy like Russell Wilson or trying to get put him in the best position to succeed, you're one play away right now from having to live in the world that you lived in last year where Russ kind of has to run the show and you're relying on him to go win football games and there really isn't a system. So let's try to get this football team better any way possible. And if a guy like Josh Jacobs becomes available and you've got to go have tough conversations, go have those tough conversations. I would go try to t- talk to, you know, Cortland Sutton right now mm. on, on something like that.
1: I, 18.2
3: million. Yeah, like Garrett Bowles, you were banged up last year. Let's have a quick conversation. Because you can do some gymnastics with those guys, and if they have a good year now, you know, now you're going to take, you know, you want to take care of them next year. So for me, I just look at what the Broncos have right now. And this is the same concern we've had all year. We love the 22, but it's the guys after. They got to start. They got to figure out a way to create depth.
1: So this report that came out over the weekend that the Broncos would be interested in Josh Jacobs. Um, do you think there's validity to that? And do you think that, that this report is a product of the last couple weeks of football here and maybe the coaches seeing, oop, we actually need more help? In the running game to help this quarterback, um, not mask you know not mask his deficiencies, but help him be the best best version of himself that he could be.
2: I think if you look at Javante Williams dragging that leg around occasionally, you know the soreness is still there. Not doesn't appear to be on track to be uh, explosive in week one. Then yeah, you, you take a, you're going to kick the tires on every possibility. And if the Raiders are willing to move on from Josh Jacobs for uh, or I guess you know Josh Jacobs is he's not under contract. So he's literally a free agent. So it, the, the Raiders get, receive no compensation from the Broncos if they were to make a move. They would just be signing Josh Jacobs to a deal. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I think you got to at least uh, explore well, that possibility. Well, wouldn't you
3: have to talk to the Raiders because they extended the, the franchise tag to him, right? So he signed the sign. Did he sign the, the franchise? He didn't, but so don't you like he still has to sit out of football if he doesn't sign the franchise tag, right? That's what Le'Veon did a couple years ago, right? I don't know. Let me do some investigation here. Yeah, so I, I think it's, hey, if they extend the franchise tag to you, yeah, you don't have to necessarily sign it, but I think you do still have to sit out that year and let it kind of run its course at that point, and then you would possibly become a free agent next year, but the team could still use the franchise tag on you, but the, at that point it would be stupid for that team to do it because you, you hadn't signed it before. Um But th- th- I, I think everybody needs to understand and create better realistic expectations for Javante Williams. I think that that's what, that's why I'm trying to have this conversation because Javante doesn't, you could sit here and listen to other media members kind of lie out of both of their mouth sides of their mouth but Javante does not look ready and if you don't look ready when you're not T- being tackled, I don't know now how we could trust that you're going to be ready when this thing only ramps up from
1: here for you. And that's the difficult part of it is when is when the need arises to have you out there because we need you, because clearly without you out there, we are a weaker team or we're more vulnerable in certain areas or we're going to have to rely more, more on the quarterback to stand back there and throw the ball or the running backs behind you don't have the experience or the skill level that you do. Then come on, you're feeling all right, right? I mean, it's not as bad as, as it looks, is it? The soreness is feeling better, right, Javante? Yeah, we're going to get you some tortoise. There's that. The, general,
3: the adrenaline's going to be pumping. You're going to be fine.
1: So it just brings up a larger question as to what are we looking for from this team this season? How good do these guys have to be and how quickly to make the, the Sean Payton experiment? Worth it or or makes sense because I don't think that he thinks they got to win the Super Bowl this year. Of course, he's saying playoffs or bust. But don't we have a couple years to turn this thing around? Didn't we learn a valuable lesson last year with Nathaniel Hackett and and Vic Fangio and VJ? We need some patience here. And who do you have on this roster? You got fifty. You got ninety guys actually on this roster right now. Which one of these dudes and which one of these young players do you want to be a part of your team going forward? And how are we going to learn that if we don't play you and go through some lumps? And be okay with an 8-9 and nine season. Chad? <sighs> it's tricky. It's tricky stuff. That was a D-Max side. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky stuff, man. You know what else is tricky stuff, Chad? Tell me. The Pac-12 fallout. Oh, my goodness.
2: It's incredibly tricky stuff there, too. Yes.
1: I want your thoughts on that. Next. <laughs> You've been admitted VIP
0: entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. She's simply awesome. (laughs) She touched by me in painted on jeans. And don't hesitate, cause
3: she was a queen.
1: 98 guys. <laughs> Billy Ocean, Caribbean Queen, we love you, Billy. Always oh, there to make us feel good. 98, we got any 98s that so we feel any uh, particular way
2: about? Yeah, Casey Hampton. Oh, that's a big boy, big yeah. dude, really good nose guard for the Steelers uh, for a long time.
3: I've had to play against him rookie year. Uh, How'd scary. you do? How'd you do? Did you handle? Um I, I I got the the Kiesel matchup more often than not, but um I just remember J D. Walton talking about Casey Lake. Jesus Christ, this guy's just so short and stocky I can't get my pads underneath them. No. Like when we're at on the sidelines, so thought that was interesting, but I had a chance to try to try to lay him out and I gave him everything that I had and he was just like, nice try.
1: <laughs> he said nice try? Said, nice try. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's better than just laughing at you, though. Yeah.
2: Casey was a good dude. I think he played with the University of Texas? Drove a Cadillac. Okay. Gave me rides home when I first got to the Steelers in year 14. Oh, wow. But I was still working on my arrangements of houses and cars and things. Tony Sarah another 98. Yeah, the
1: Goose. Uh, <laughs> Robert
3: Mathis. Yep.
1: Oh, Big John Henderson. Yep. Yes. Robert Mathis put a put put a put me in the blender. I had to block him one time. Uh,
2: pass block or run yeah, block? Yeah, pass block. Oh, come mm. on,
1: yeah, come well, on. He, he didn't make the sack. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, how was
2: about that? It, was it a, was it a three step drop, or did you did you block him? I don't remember. I got him. <laughs> you,
1: so he, how did he put he you in the, the blender? If you got him, because he because he gave me one of the little spin and then like you know he got away from me, but he didn't do anything on the play. He wasn't close to the play. So you, you did enough. To stop the sack. Yeah, I got enough on him. Then he got out of it, and I fell on the ground. And I thought I broke my finger the way my finger hit the ground. I'm <laughs> like, ah, you ever have those things with like those moments where you th- expect to see a broken something, and it's not? It's still okay.
3: No, they're usually broken or
1: dislocated <laughs> or some <laughs> ligament's torn in them. How many fingers have you? Uh, every single or- one of them. Every, every broken, single dislocated, one? or torn ligament. Well, those things are like freaking super long how do you not get those caught up <laughs> um, and how are they now my do
3: pinky have... doesn't even work properly so my pinky doesn't go straight at all no more on this finger and then this one does this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, thank you man I mean, this one does this and he just wrapped it around the other finger um, all right so get ready to have your your mind kind of tangled in a knot here because we're talking about uh, the realignment Of all these college teams, the Pac-12, no longer the Pac-12. What is it, Pac-4 right now? Yeah, Basically, yeah. (laughs) we got the Big 12, and then there's the Big 10. And and those are two different conferences. Uh, Some teams are leaving the Big 12, going to the Big 10. Some are leaving the Big 10, going to the SEC. And some are leaving the Pac-12, going to the Big 12. Chad, where are we right now?
2: We are in bananas land in college football. Um, So technically, there are still 12 teams in the Pac-12. Because USC and UCLA don't go to the Big Ten until next year. Okay. Uh, CU, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Utah don't go to the Big 12 until next year. Oregon and Washington, they'll join USC and UCLA next year joining the Big Ten. So that's the Pac-12 situation, which leaves Cal, Stanford, uh, Oregon State, and Washington State. Uh, not quite a viable conference left over there, so we'll see what's going to happen. People are talking about Stanford going independent. I don't think that makes any sense. You don't have the same panache
1: and following the Notre Dame has. You don't. I mean, you could develop it though, couldn't you? No, you couldn't. They could. They if, couldn't build a. They if you f- were independent, then you could kind of put the juice into that independence.
2: No, I've I've called maybe four Stanford games in the last three or four years, and. If they have more than 12,000 people at their own games, wow. in their own stadiums, that's a great day for them. So the fact that they can go independent and not have the reliance upon a uh, a conference for TV dollars is just a ridiculous notion. Does um, all go independent? No. They don't have the same kind of following either. Neither there's Washington State, neither there's Oregon State. So they're going to be joining some, you know, West Coast, mountainy, Westy kind of thing. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But all this was brought about because the Pac-12 couldn't reach a media rights deal that would meet what the Big 12 was offering. So the Big 12 roughly gives 33 million bucks a team to uh, to all their their members, and so for the Pac-12 to land the Amazon Plus deal, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the the Amazon Plus deal, plus I think subscribers would have to kick in another 20 bucks to get access to all the Pac-12 offerings. It just was not a deal that made sense for the uh, those schools that decided to leave to to agree to. So they joined greener pastures, literally greener pastures, in the Big 12 and the Big 10. So the Pac-12 is now essentially done after this season. Four teams left in it, you know currently who don't have a home, and I'm sure they're going to be trying to find a home soon.
1: Aren't there a lot of teams that are trying to get into the Pac-12 now that there are some vacancies, though? Colorado State is one of them, and I saw a list of teams that are, would actually are applying to get into the Pac-12. There could be there 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 could be, but it'll be all, as sexy. But it'll be still be a division. It,
2: yeah, but you know it, it'll be an unrecognizable to anybody who's who's followed college football. You know, from the Pac eight to the Pac ten to now the Pac twelve, the whatever version they are able to put together, if they are able to get something going, uh, is not going to resemble anything like we are familiar with. USC and UCLA have been in that conference forever. Mm. You know, it, it's 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 sad in some ways for those of us who are longtime football fans and have. Uh, a feeling for these traditional rivalry sets, but uh, it is what it is. College teams are going to follow the money. College programs are going to follow the money. And when the SEC and Big Ten are giving out almost 60 million bucks a year, a little over 60 million bucks a year, um, you're going to be desperate to get into those conferences. And the Big 12 takes those who are not able to get into the SEC or the Big Ten. And so that ends up being Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. So they get a chance to limp along for a while, but the $30 million year annual difference in revenue from the TV contracts is going to make those Big Ten and SEC schools that much further ahead than even the Big 12. And then much, much further ahead than whatever the remainders of the Pac-12 or the Mountain West are. So we're going to end up with a – NFC, AFC situation with the Big Ten and the SEC, and everyone else will be falling beneath that. The, in, in the ACC, Florida State's trying to leave the ACC. They're trying to break the deal.
3: That's what I was getting ready to ask you because for me, Chad, when I look at this, it's like, okay, if FSU leaves the ASC, the ACC, you talk about some of these traditional rivalries. Like I remember when I was. Leaving high school in 2007, and I said, "Okay, it's about all about the you and my, you know, fellow schoolmate and you know guy that I've went to war with and did the two days and been in high school with." He said, "He's going to FSU, right?" So that became an immediate rivalry. But can you do this all this realigning and still create those rivalries, or is it just going to be like a state thing? Because I anticipate Miami, Florida, and Florida State will always kind of not like each other, but they're all in the same state. But what about those rivalries that we've grown to know and love that are not in the same state now with all this realignment that we're seeing in college football?
2: Yeah, I mean, that gets starts to get tricky because if the Big Ten and the SEC both end up with 20 schools each, two 10-team divisions— do you have space to play a non-division opponent? And how many teams within your division that are part of your conference are you going to play every year just from a, a structural standpoint? So do you play eight of the ten teams that are in your division? Do you play one outer division game but within your conference? And then one complete non-conference game? How are uh, uh, athletic directors going to and conferences going to sh- handle this scheduling aspect of these super conferences that are literally building right in front of our eyes? Um, so that becomes a factor as well in, in maintaining some of these traditional rivalries, uh, USC, UCLA, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, all these kind of things, depending on where they land up uh, in, as far as the two different divisions and then how they schedule these things. Uh, CU Nebraska, you know, Nebraska uh, Nebraska's now in the Big Ten. CU's back in the Big 12, but, you know, is the Big Ten going to have room for all that? I got no idea how this is all going to play out in the future.
1: And so, if you were to weigh the pros and the cons of what's happened in pro—I'm sorry—in college football, kind of turned into pro football. These these kids are getting paid now, or have the opportunities to do so. But this realignment mess is changing the face of college football. So, is it all worth it, Chad? Uh, is it a good? Is it a is it a is it a good? Is it a net positive or is it a net negative? What we're seeing happening to college football? Ten years from now, it'll be a positive. Ten years? Ten years. That's a long time. Uh but it, it, really not that long. No, nah,
2: it's pretty long. Ten years from now it'll be a positive because now we'll have a, a level playing field. There's no reason why uh you know, I, I know CSU has played Alabama recently and and basically a money game for the CSU program. Um And maybe it's cool for those kids at CSU to see what the upper levels of college football looks like when they play against them. But there's no way CSU is going to win that game. So now we can eliminate those kinds of things. And the Tier 1 teams that have the most NIL dollars, the most TV revenue, the most donor uh, stuff, the most uh analysts and the biggest facilities all those tier one big 10 uh, sec schools they get a chance to play each other and compete for the tier one national championship and then all these other schools can compete for tier two and that's a little bit more of a level playing field rather than every season we know there's four or five teams that have a real legitimate shot to win a national championship now you can root for your team to actually win a national championship at its level i got a question for both of you guys um
3: you know, we all talk about college football and NIL dollars. With that, you know, given if we were still, like, I'm still getting recruited in 2006. Chad, you're still getting recruited in 1950. Um, <laughs> hey. they, they, you're still getting recruited whenever you were getting recruited. Like, would you, how would your mindset be different with NIL dollars? Would, would you guys been the guy like, hey, you know, I, I'm going where I'm going to whoever gave me the most amount of money? Cause for me, like, I went to the University of Miami one because growing up in Toronto, I remember watching like those national championship games and watching like UM being this dominant force. And then I went to UM and found out that there's only like 9,500 undergrads that my biggest class size was going to be maybe 50 over the four years that I was going to be there. So teachers were going to know my name and I knew I needed that. So would that have changed anything for you guys as far as how you guys got recruited and where you guys went?
1: For me, it wouldn't because I, I wasn't really recruited, man. It was, it was a different path for me. I just wanted to play ball. I went to a small school, uh, Cal Poly. I got cut. They said, you're not good enough to play football on this team, Nate. So I went to a D3 school just trying to keep the dream alive, and that's where I kind of blossomed. So for me, it was never about the big money. It was never about the boosters. It was never about, The big program was just about me playing the sport. So I never had those options. Um, So, Chad, maybe you can answer that a little better.
2: Uh, It would have been all three factors. It would have been, you know, the obviously the opportunity on the field for the football team, the program, and myself. Uh, The academic factor, which my mom, being a school teacher, made sure was a part of my process. And then, uh, yes, the NIL dollars would enter into the situation, but they would not be the driver above the first two.
1: They would be important, but not above the first two. More money, more problems. Just like Biggie said, um, today was is two ninety eight in the Billy Ocean cheer campaign. We 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 forgot a number ninety eight, an old number ninety eight of New England. Chad Brown. <laughs> thank, you, <laughs> br- thank you, thank you, Brian, on the Chad's text on. line, letting us know that Chad did wear a number ninety eight yeah, in New England. It even feels weird to hear it. Yeah, but it happened, it, it didn't it? It did. And the morning mixtape is about to happen. Next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. Guys, did you check out the Marcus Wears? Hall of Fame speech. Um, here he is. Here he is talking about joining the Broncos. You know, He played, obviously, most of his career with the Dallas Cowboys, but here is DeMarcus Ware from his, induct, his inductment, induction speech the other night. Talking about the Broncos.
2: It started with a call from John Elway, the Bowling family, and Peyton Manning. I remember that call. You said, let's go win this thing. But well, we did it, brother. Whether... It was Miller time with Vaughn, or if I had to call on the no-fly zone. That orange crush spirit helped bring home Super Bowl Fifty.
1: Mm. Orlando, you were a teammate of Demarcus Ware. Could you talk a, bit, a little bit about who, who he was on the field, off the field, as a teammate, as a, as a as a friend?
3: Demarcus Ware improved our working relationship. DeMarcus Ware does not come to the Denver Broncos. There's no way in hell the Broncos win Super Bowl 50. I know I wasn't here. I know I wasn't a part of Super Bowl 50. That was my first year gone. But what DeMarcus Ware did when he came here, he now started to improve the communication between offense and defense. The days of the defense just winning the day, or the offense just winning the day, and just moving forward, those days were gone. You know, D. Ware came in and After a defense won today, the defense would tell us why they won today and would almost challenge us to improve our flaws, our tells as offense, which made us better players on Sundays. Mm. So when teams were watching us, we weren't giving anything away and he improved that relationship with every single person. Whether it was, you know, DB going against receiver, linebacker going against running back, offensive lineman going against defensive lineman, he made sure he improved that. And that's what made the team so much better, so much stronger, and ultimately resulted in Super Bowl 50.
1: DeMarcus Ware, I had to practice against him for a couple of days as a young tight end. I was a tight end for four years, and the first two years I was a tight end, it was it was rough. Uh, the blocking part of it was, was hard to get down. And so, you know, you practice against the team you're going to play preseason game against, for two or three days, and then I think it was 2006. We went over and play in practice against the Dallas Cowboys for a couple days. Maybe it was 2007, but um, just blocking that dude, man, his arms—he could like scratch your ear from here, like you where could I'm
3: stand up and scratch his kneecap. This dude is <laughs> was <laughs> up, so strong.
1: strong. I tried to block him the first time. He just kind of picked me up and dumped me into the opposite side where the play was. And I and I realized that if I had any chance at all, I had to get so super low that felt like I was going to fall over and just shoot off and try to hit him first and stalemate him. But that was a, a very tall task. Um, as, a, as a pass rusher, Chad, what was it about DeMarcus Ware that made him so potent? Well, you mentioned the length and the athleticism. Uh, you know, he
2: certainly had an advantage over somebody my size. He's a taller guy with longer arms, as you point out, the ability to keep tackles hands off of him. but. You know, let's not forget some of these savvy. It's more than just pure athleticism. Even you know, to this day, his fake spin, uh, then going around mm. the edge, that still shows up on social media every that, week or so. Patented that one? I don't know if he patented, but it's certainly, it's certainly one of the more famous fake spins in NFL history. Um, so that kind of veteran savvy to set somebody up for that kind of move. Well, you couple that with the athleticism, with the natural pass rushing skill set, you end up with one of the all time greats with 138 career sacks.
1: Congratulations to DeMarcus Ware, well deserved. There it is. Uh, Broncos center Lloyd Cushenberry talked about the offensive line putting pressure on themselves. Here is Lloyd.
0: Going good. We got a long ways to go. Uh, I feel we all feel like we haven't done anything yet. We got about a lot of tough opponents. So I feel like every week we're facing.
3: Great D line, so we just got to continue to build, continue to uh, be mentally strong, and stick together through ups and downs. And um, you know, the first day we met as a as a new group, we said, "Win or lose, it's going to be on us. Uh, no matter what, uh, if we lose, people going to point the finger at us. If we win, it's going to be because of us. So we got to be the group that runs this team all year."
1: Broncos beefed up their offensive line this offseason, but left Lloyd Cushenberry right there at center. Um, do you like what you hear from Lloyd? And have you liked what you've seen from him so far?
3: I think this whole entire offensive line has struggled so far. Um, but the good news is that, you know, this is a working process. Uh, you want to know who you are as a football team after week four. So for me, it's right after that Chicago game. This team, doesn't matter how many reps they take right now, everything's not going to be perfect. You're trying to get five guys to think like one out there. I think Lloyd has it from the neck up. He's able to get to the line of scrimmage, identify the defense, put everybody on the right blocks. While we're making his first call, and now letting it trickle down. But I do believe that he has a long ways to go to really be. the, the This whole entire room has a long ways to go to be the reason why they win football
1: games. And, and this, the offensive line, like you said, has struggled at the beginning of camp. And Lloyd Cushenberry, this is his third year. You got to make that leap in year three. Lloyd, we're all counting on you. All right, rookie Drew Sanders, impressing thus far in camp. Here's Sean Payton over the weekend talking about what he's seen from Drew.
0: Good, you know, there's a learning curve, Good. and yet, man, you, you see, you see physicality, you see speed, his stature, his length, all of those things. You know, he's he's going to be someone that does a lot of things for us. We see him certainly getting reps in the kicking game. I've been encouraged.
1: Speed, length, stature, playmaking, the guy 6'5", 233, though. When you're out there, he looks thin. Does he have the body to play inside uh, as a linebacker, Chad?
2: I think he can. I think he can. Now, you know, the fact that he has played both spots, uh, that gives him so much flexibility. We talk about his pass rush and and sack numbers from college. I think nine and a half sacks last year. Uh, And so if he's going to be uh, utilized, uh, from a inside-outside linebacker perspective. Maybe he's not the purest of run thumpers from the inside linebacker position, but he gives you flexibility to rush the quarterback from there. So now you can have him on the field, a guy who can line up an inside linebacker, and depending on what you want to do defensively, if you're Vance Joseph, you want to slide him outside and do like a double outside blitz. You want to leave him inside and run some kind of twist game, the things I used to do as a Pittsburgh Steeler. He gives you that flexibility because of his skill set. There's still, as Sean Payne said, a ways to go for him, um, and his body is going to continue to get thicker as years go on. But right now I think it's most likely contribution defensively is going to be as an inside pass rusher.
3: Yeah. One do, you the Bron- do you think the Broncos chat are going to go to like your back in the day philosophy, like with Pittsburgh, how you guys would stand up at the line of scrimmage and you would have those linebackers in the 90s and, you know, and then all of a sudden the snap of the ball, you really don't understand who's rushing versus who's dropping back in, in coverage with a guy like uh, Drew Sanders?
2: I think that's a, you know, one of the most, uh, Best things you can do as a defense is create some indecision on the offensive line with the run scheme. So if we're all, all up standing, moving around as we did with the Steelers, and any one of us could be rusher, any one of us could be a dropper, that makes life difficult for the offensive line, but it makes life difficult for the quarterback as well. So if I'm Vance Joseph and I got a guy like Drew Sanders who can play inside linebacker, but then also have the versatility to be a rusher as an inside guy or as an outside guy, you start to scheme up those
1: kinds of things, no doubt about it. Drew Sanders is going to be one of those players are going to be fun to watch in the preseason. Some of these veterans, you kind of know what they can do. You want to get them some work, but get them ready for the season. But a guy like Drew Sanders, what does he do well? Let's put him out there against some game competition and cut him loose and see if this guy can be a contributor in 2023. Sean Payton, he doesn't just want physically capable football players. He wants smart, mentally disciplined football players. What does he mean? We'll hear from Sean Payton next. <laughs> VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Sean Payton wants a disciplined, smart football team ready for any situation. We're going to get into that in a second, but I don't know if you guys caught over the weekend Cleveland's Guardian, third baseman, Jose Ramirez, uh, throwing a punch in you know, a kind of a wild roundhouse to put Tim Anderson down. Down goes Anderson. Night-night. Do night. you guys have any thoughts on that On that brawl? Uh, Tim Anderson, you, you got
3: to read the scouting report, dog. Um, what you were doing, I thought, was uncalled for. And then you kind of uh, initiated it, dropped the gloves. You could. T- the, my favorite part of the whole entire thing, the umpire was, like, in the middle of it, and then he was like, yeah, I'm the good. heck with it. Yeah, you guys do I'm, you. I don't <laughs> get paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> and then down went Anderson. It, it was a good laugh for sure.
1: He put up his dukes, and he did get caught. It was um, not, the, not the most well-formed punch. It was a straight arm, just kind of wildly swinging. And he hit him with, like, the flat part of his hand, and he just caught him. Caught him on the right spot. You ever you guys ever been caught on the right spot and got knocked out in a brawl or anything? Been knocked down?
2: No, I got hit with a two piece. Oh, oh man, my freshman year of, of high school. Uh I got my cheek stuck to my braces and my <laughs> nose knocked to the other side of my no! face. What happened, man? Oh, Scottie, a dispute over a girl? S- Scotty Ryan gave it to me in what? the locker room. What? Yeah. Yeah. We were uh we were at seven on seven. Mm. I was a freshman trying to prove myself, so I was getting a little rough during 7-on-7. Seven seven, okay. And I pushed one of Scotty's boys after he caught a pass. Oh. And Scotty said, I'm coming after you. I'm going to beat you up in the locker room. And oh. I thought, okay, whatever. Not going to happen. We're on the same team together. Why are we going to be fighting? In the locker room. In the locker room. I go to my locker. I'm messing with my, my, my lock, and Scotty comes walking down the hall towards me, and I'm messing with my lock, so I turn to face him. One, two. Wah, wah. Oh, you didn't even get a chance to square up? I didn't know. So I I get up off the ground, and I'm happy everyone's holding me back. So I got to put on the show and act like I really want to fight. But I could could see my nose was on the other side of my face. And the blood was just pouring out of
1: my nose. And then
2: I got into the coach's office, and I had to call my mom, and that's when the tears came. Mom, can you come get me? I got my nose broken. I need to go to the hospital right now. Oh,
1: Chad. Chad Brown. That's like your origin story, though, from becoming a a badass. uh, Yes. You were already a badass, obviously.
2: Uh, Well, I wasn't a fighting (laughs) badass. Not so much that day. Yeah,
1: Scotty Ryan got me. What about Orlando? You, Orlando? You Um, got got?
2: Only been
3: whooped by my brother, my older brother. Mm. Six years older than me, and that stopped when I was about 15. Um, But, yeah, other than that, I I was... um, on the opposite side, I was the, the Scotty walking down the hallway and taking some sport. lunch money. Not taking much money. kids into lockers. Honestly, like I was a big goofy looking kid a long time in my life, but I, I, I had hands because my brother was six years older than me. So my freshman year of high school, I walk into high school. I'm six four, probably a hundred and fifty pounds soaking wet. You know, four years later, I walk out. I'm, I'm six six. 310. Like, I doubled my weight, right? And just, it was like, um, like space like, jam, right? Like, 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 like the monsters, right? But, um, for me, I, I, I never really got into fights in my neighborhood because people knew that I had an older brother yeah, he, and he was about that. And then I never really got into fights at high school. I remember my freshman year, similar situation. These guys try to quote unquote bully me, but what they didn't realize was my brother had just graduated from that school, like two years before mm. so as soon as they sent the word like yeah we're gonna jump this kid at school i just called my brother it was like yo this is what's going on and he my brother up. and his boys showed up and my brother was like listen if you ever try to touch my little brother it's gonna be a problem so i, I coasted through high school in toronto for the next couple years and until i got to the states is your brother as big as you um he's right now probably uh six three two uh forty five probably Large gentleman. Yeah, so he's a, a little bit bigger than me. I make fun of him all the time. So he's oh, yeah. fat. Yeah, because I weigh 225. Um, and he Dude, can't we believe... weigh like the
1: same, Orlando.
3: <laughs> yeah, my brother can't believe that. Like, I saw him for the first time two months ago in person since I've lost weight just because of, like, COVID in Canada and stuff wow. like that. And he's looking at me like, what the heck is going on right now? <laughs> Who is this guy? And then he starts, like, going through, like, my, um, my suitcase, like, oh, I like this shirt. I like these jeans. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you better not touch anything. Like You're not getting any of that.
1: Wow. Well, um, yeah, a uh, bad day. A bad day for... Um What's his face? Yeah, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson.
2: Yeah, he's got because now he's got to live with that forever. Oh, they're walking him off the field. Did You see him staggering off the field. His teammates trying to help him no, off the field. No. Yeah, he didn't know where he was. At. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Wow. All right, um, Sean Payton. Oh yeah, he's showing me right there.
2: But this is him walking, being helped off the field. Watching. I got the, it. The, oh. The, oh oh, I'm the, good. Oh. I'm good.
1: I got this. Okay, Oh oh. Wow. <laughs> All right, Tim Anderson, uh, put some ice on it, rest up, and don't check the Internet. (laughs) Don't check the Internet. All right, Sean Payton wants smart football players. He wants mental discipline on his team. What does he mean by that? Here he is.
0: If you ask a coach that question, it's probably never going to be the the perfect (laughs) answer, but it's getting better. You know, it's something that I I get back to the pre-snap penalties from a year ago, and that's before – before we ever snapped the ball, that was something we struggled with on both sides of the ball, and so that, that has to get better. I mentioned before you know, you begin to learn how to win, but you you also start by figuring out how not to lose. So I, I think, man, I think they're eager. I think they're working hard. I just finished telling them this weekend, typically around the league years ago, it used to be a scrimmage weekend. You guys have covered this team for a while. Hall of Fame weekend was always a, a Saturday scrimmage. You know, ones versus twos, twos versus ones, threes versus threes, and you know, you'd have maybe eighty plays. Um, it's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, we got good work in today. They'll be off tomorrow, and then back at it Monday. But I think it's—I think it's—it's it's something that—and look, part of that's bringing in the right players too. You know, the procurement of who you're bringing in.
1: A lot there, a lot to chew on. Clearly, Sean Payton um, has all his bases covered here, right, Chad? Yeah, when, when you hear him talk about the discipline, the little things that can lose you the game and not just winning the game, what do you think?
2: I think it's a truism in football. There are more games that are lost than are won.
1: and uh, Isn't it an equal number of games lost and won? <laughs> no. That's why the Broncos were, what, 5-12? and 12? No, I mean, the other team wins when you lose. Yes, this is true.
2: It's true. But you have an opportunity to win the game. And if you do things like pre-snap penalties, which happen on Friday and Saturday, then you set yourself up to lose. Um, so, yes, that's where that saying comes from. These kind of mental errors and having smart football players who understand their assignments. You don't have to be a spectacular football team to be a winning football team. You don't need to be loaded with first-round picks and Pro Bowlers and All-Pros. You just just simply by being the smarter football team is going to give you a much better advantage than being the faster football team or the more physical football team. Just the, the smart football team. The fewer number of mistakes you can make from a rules standpoint and then also from an assignment playbook standpoint, you don't have to beat. You don't have to knock everybody after off the ball. You don't have to be the fiercest, most physical team. If you just play smarter, that's going to give you an advantage in an overwhelming majority of your games. So Sean Payton's absolutely correct. That's just such low hanging fruit. If we just don't, if we eliminate dumb stuff, we're going to be better, and we can easily do that by all being dialed in, being smart, and understanding what the situations are. You don't have to spend years in the weight room to be smarter. You don't have to spend years in 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 the meeting rooms to have the you know this this knowledge of everything your opponent's doing like the back of your hand. Just don't do dumb stuff and you'll win more games than you lose. I think you can look at the, end, the the stat sheet
3: at the end of a game, look at penalties and look at time of possession and really tell who won that game probably about 80% of the time. And, you know, I think hand, uh, just one versus the other doesn't really tell you a lot, but both sets of information will tell you a lot. And when you're a football team that Constantly starts behind the eight ball and hurting yourself before the play even gets started. You don't have, You already don't have a lot of guys. You don't have a lot of explosive players or, or players that said, it you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go get this first down, or I'm going to go score this touchdown. So you're hurting yourself as a whole entire organization when you have the the dumb penalties before the snaps. And we saw the Broncos doing that right now in, in practice over the last couple of days. So hopefully, it's something to get cleaned up this week.
1: We're Talk about dumb football plays, dumb boneheaded plays that lose you games. Are players just dumb these days? Are players stupider now when it comes to the game of football than they used to be? We're going to do a round-off flip-flop into that conversation next.